Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you that we can behold you, Lord, that you've shown us through your word and by your spirit who you are and what you've done. Lord, that you did take the nails for us. You were hung on the cross for us. You were raised for our justification. Lord, you are forever seated on your throne. Nobody could take you down. Lord, I do pray you'd look on us. Lord, that you'd pity us. That you'd speak to us, that you'd be our help. Lord, we need your help every day, every moment. We want to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourself. We want to be a representative of who you are. We cannot do that on our own, Lord. Given to ourselves, all our ways are futile, vain, worthy of judgment. But in you, Lord, we are fruitful, we are joyous, we are powerful, we are humble. So please help us, Lord. Bring us to yourself. In your name, amen. All right, Psalm 62. It's written up there for your viewing pleasure. It'll probably be there next week, too, so we'll be in Psalm 63 next week, though. All right, Psalm 62, let's go ahead and read it. The heading says, To the chief musician, to Jaduthan, a psalm of David. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not just set your heart on them. God has spoken once. Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his work. So there we have it, Psalm 62. Um, I wanted to go all the way through to Psalm 63, but both of them are rich, and especially Psalm 63 I was really drawn to, so I figured we'd save that for next week. But it starts off to the chief musician, to Jaduthan, a Psalm of David. So this Jaduthan character, he goes all the way back to when David reigned, David sets up the tabernacle, and um, they put the ark in it, and he appoints Levites to serve in the tabernacle. And then he also appoints singers and musicians to serve at the tabernacle. In uh, 1 Chronicles 25.1, 1, 
It says this, Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph, of He-Man, and the masters of the universe. I'm just kidding. I actually looked up He-Man. What did it mean in Hebrew? I can't remember. Strong? It wasn't strong. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Jaduthan, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. So these guys are supposed to prophesy, to sing, to make praises to the Lord with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. So this is, we've seen this title a lot to the chief musician as we've gone through the Psalms. And here we have the name of one of the chief musicians. And it's Jaduthan. Um, also many a times in the, oh, I just said that, never mind. His name means praising, which is an awesome name for a worship leader, right? Hey, praising, what are you going to sing today? This psalm may have been written, actually, 61 to 64. These, this group of psalms may have been written either when Absalom rebels, commits treason, tries to take over the kingdom, or when the sons of Saul are trying to take the kingdom back from David. So we're going to kind of see how that works out in the psalm a little bit. They're trying to get him off his throne so that they can take possession of the, of the kingdom. So it starts off, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. And this is actually a little bit of a difficult verse to translate. Various translations will say different things. Um, they all kind of come down to my rest is in God or my soul waits. I think the King James just has my soul waits. In other translations it says my soul rests in God or finds rest in God. Um, literally it's only my soul silent towards God. So you can see why there's different translations and kind of filling in what they think they're. Only my soul silent towards God. David speaking to his own soul. And we see this a lot through the Psalms. David preaching to himself. He's telling himself to take rest in God, to take refuge in God, to trust in him. All right? Constantly he's preaching to himself. And I think that's such an example for us. How often do we preach to our own souls? When you're reading the Bible, are you preaching to yourself? Are you praying for yourself? You know, I've heard it said before, well, I don't pray for myself from people. I think that's selfish. It's not. Who needs prayer more than me? More than you. We constantly need to bring ourselves before God and to pray for ourselves. Right? To constantly, constantly, constantly bring ourselves to the Lord. Take a hold of our hearts, our minds, our very souls, and say, worship God, O my soul. Praise his holy name. It's something that we have to constantly do. So he's saying, my soul is silent towards God. And what this means is he's at, he's at rest. It does mean that he's at rest. He's silent before God. He's in, he has restful confidence. He's waiting in confidence. He's not waiting in terror and, um, and aggravation or anxiety. He's waiting in rest for the Lord. Isn't it hard to wait restfully 
Lord, I need your help like yesterday, but I'll continue to wait. But to just have confidence in him that he's, he's sovereign, he's perfect, he's full of wisdom and love for you. All his ways are mercy and truth for you, believer. That's something we can take confidence in. And David says, from him comes my salvation. Another way to translate the word silent is, for my soul is in tranquility in God. It's tranquil. It's at peace. It's at rest. It's silent before him. And again, David says, from him comes my salvation. He's resting, he's waiting, he's silent because he knows that his salvation is in God. His salvation is in God. And I want to note too, the word truly there in verse 1 in the, in the New King James is literally only or alone. It means only in God. Only in him, only in him alone am I silent, am I at rest, am I tranquil. And he uses this word only six times in this psalm in 12 verses. And it's, it's translated different ways in the New King James. The only one that translated it completely consistently as only every single time was the New American Standard Bible. So if you have that one, it's going to be easier for you to, to re- read along today. But um, it, it doesn't mean only. That's probably the best translation of this word. But notice... He finds his, his rest, his quietness, his tranquility in God. And, and, but doesn't he usually say, I'm crying out before God? Like in Psalm 61, which this is probably an extension of. Psalm 61 starts off, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. And cry there isn't just like, <laughs> right? It's not just like a whimper. It's a loud, ringing cry. If you look it up in Brown Driver Briggs, Hebrew lexicon, it says a ringing cry, a wailing, a loud cry. It's like so everybody can hear, everybody can know how grieved he is. So that God and all the angels can hear, all creation. It's a ringing cry. But when you've cried out to the Lord, if you have faith in the Lord, do you think you can be silent afterwards? Do you think you can have confident rest in him? Because what, we, what do we do? We cry out to him. And faith says, faith says he has heard my cry. So I'm going to be quiet now. I'm going to be restful now. I've brought my pleas before him. I've brought my cries before him. I know he has heard. I know he's not far from me. And so I can trust that he has heard. And now I can be quiet. I can quiet my soul. And only in him can I do this. Only in him can I have faith that he will come through for me. Look at verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. I want you to note that word greatly there. Because he's going to quote the same two verses again, but he's going to leave out that word. I mean, you think, okay, I'm not greatly moved. Does that mean I'm a little moved? I'm shaken, but not, I mean, the literal word for moved there is shaken. I'm a little bit shaken. I'm a little bit moved. I'm I'm a little bit thrown off my balance. But not greatly. I'm still trusting in him. I'm still expecting 
for him and of him. And then he says in verse 3, How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Notice they want to cast him down from his high position. Where is he? He's on the throne of Israel. He's on the, or at least on the throne of Judah at this point. If it's Saul's sons who are trying to cast him down. If it's Absalom, then he's on the throne of all of Israel, Judah and Israel. But David is wondering, how long will these attackers continue in their vain attacks? They're like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Have you ever torn down a wall or a fence that's like, you know, just leaning over? What was it? This summer we, we rebuilt a fence in my mom's backyard. And, um, but the old one, the wind had blown part of it down. It was a tottering fence. The rest of it, I kicked down and smoked to the ground. <laughs> I felt very manly doing it. Splinters everywhere, pieces, shards of wood flying everywhere as I put my foot through it. It was fun. Demolition is always fun. Fixing stuff is not always as much more tedious, but just breaking stuff down, it's a blast, right? That's what these guys are like. Like a leaning wall or a tottering fence ready just to be kicked to the earth. There is actually two ways to take this verse, though. The first way is that these attackers are the leaning wall, the tottering fence. You know, their hope is in their own manipulation, their own evil, their own themselves. They're a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Another way to take it is that David is the leaning wall, or tottering fence. You know, if he has just taken the throne... You know, some people are with him, some people aren't. And he knows his own weaknesses, his own frailty. He knows the great power of God, but he, does, but he also knows how weak he is. He knows how weak he is. Just like we know how weak we are. I hope. If you don't know how weak you are, you're in a dangerous place. You are in a dangerous place because you will put yourself in positions that you should not be in. Right? You think you have power to rein yourself in, to keep yourself from falling? You do not. But our Lord has power. He has grace towards us. He is the one who loves us and upholds us by his mighty right hand. The ESV translates it, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? So again, he's talking to the attackers are the one attacking the leaning wall, tottering fence. We're all like a leaning wall or a tottering fence, right? We, again, we have to know how weak we are. I mean, just think about it. Without Christ... It's like we're, we're just hanging over the pit of hell, right? ready to fall in at any moment. If you've ever read or listened to Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards, the whole sermon is like that. You know, you're like a, on a spider's web, but there's a flame under that web, and it's ready to break, and you're going to fall into hell any moment. Now, it's this terrifying sermon, but it's true. 
any moment. But for believers, we are held up by our Lord Jesus Christ. We are held, and his hand is strong. His arms are mighty. Right? To hold us up, to help us. But that doesn't stop Satan's attacks. He's constantly battering us, right? Constantly. He's trying to make us lethargic. He's trying to make us weak. He's trying to cause us to sin against our God. He wants us to be selfish. He wants us to think about vain things constantly. You know, my brother and I, we like to fish. And we're always thinking, okay, which lure is going to catch that fish? You know, what are they eating right now at this type of time of year? You know, the other day I went and bought some, some lures and stuff, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what colors are good for spring? You know, stuff like that. Maybe this lure will work, maybe this one. And then you find that one that works. Like, I remember one time we're fishing, and Garrett and um, some of the guys from the church were with us, and I think everybody else had left. And we didn't, nobody caught anything. And then Logan finds this, he gets this, it's called a rat's tail, and it's just like kind of a worm with like a little ball on the end of it. And he sets it up, and he's just kind of dragging it through. And every single time he threw it, and how many fish did you catch? Like six fish in like 20 minutes, you know? I mean, he found the right lure. Do you think Satan's trying to find the exact same lure for you? The one to reel you in with? The one that's going to take a hold of you, that's going to hook you? Yes. He wants to destroy you. You are an image bearer of Jesus Christ. He wants to mar that image. He wants to destroy your witness to this world. That's what you have been saved for. To show the world who Jesus Christ is. Right? In everything you do, the way you work, in your marriage, as, as you are as a, as a son or a daughter, as a parent... He wants to completely mar and destroy your witness. And he has little victories. He has little victories sometimes. What does the believer do? The believer repents and he turns back to God. And he again shows the world the kindness of God that he can just go, confess his sins, confess her sins to the Lord. And the Lord takes him up. Right? He receives us to himself. Just like any one of my children, if they were to fall and start sinning, would I immediately grab a hold of them if they came back? Yes. Think of the prodigal son. The prodigal son tells his dad, I wish you were dead, so give me my inheritance now, and I'll go and I'll make a life for myself. So he does it. He takes his inheritance. He spins it on prodigal living you know he gambles it all away loses it all spends it all on prostitutes and partying and stuff and then he finds himself tending to pigs and he's so hungry he wishes he could eat the pig slop and then he remembers how kind his father is that all of his slaves are in a better position than he is in so he says I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven. Make me like one of your hired servants, and I'll work for you. But what happens when the father sees him on the road a long way off? He starts running 
He runs to his child. He becomes undignified. He runs to him. He grabs him. And he doesn't even get all the words out of his mouth. He just says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he takes him in. He slaughters the fattened calf for him. Has a huge banquet for him. Gives him his robe. Receives him back totally. And gives him even more than he had before. That's our God. When we sin, that is our God. We come back to him and he gives us more than we ever had. Do we still have some problems and things that we have to take care of or struggle through because of our sin? Yes. Because he's good. I found that absolute mercy would probably kill us. When there's absolute mercy, when all of, everything is just totally wiped away, we don't have to deal with any of the consequences, it only hardens our hearts. So our Father's wise. He's so wise. Think of our kids. You show them mercy, total mercy, you just harden their hearts. There has to be discipline. There has to be loving correction. Look at verse 5. It says, My soul waits silently for God alone, or only, again, is the, is the Hebrew word there, for my expectation is from Him. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. In, in verse 1, David gives the idea that his soul only waits for God. He only rests in God. Here in verse 5, he gives his soul a command. It's like, here's the, in verse 1 is the idea, in verse 5 is the command. So there's a progression here. In verse 1, it's, it's like, yes, my soul is, waits for the Lord. It's silent before the Lord. And here, my soul waits silently for God alone. Like, exclamation point. Only in him alone. Only in him. He's commanding his soul. For my expectation is from him. Verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. So again, he's, he's nearly quoting verses 1 and 2. Right? I mean, so yeah, verses 1 and 2. Listen to verse 2 again. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse 6, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Notice he leaves out the word greatly. It's just a slight variation. But I think this represents a progression in the mind of David. Saying, okay, before I was not greatly moved. I was a little moved. I was shaken. I had anxiety. It was hard, right? It felt like I was teeter-tottering teeter on the edge, like a tottering fence or a bowing wall. I think about it, and not being moved is, is not automatic for us, though. Right? When... When something's happening to us, when 
we're going through a dark night of the soul or whatever it is, we're going through some kind of trial, it's not automatic for us to not be greatly moved. For not to be moved, period. What does it take? It takes focus of our mind, the affections of our heart, the resoluteness of our soul to completely trust in him. It takes all of us. It's not automatic. We can't just go on autopilot and think we're going to walk with the Lord and not be shaken. It takes almost everything we have. We're supposed to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when is it more important but when we are going through a trial? When we're being shaken. Right? It takes everything we have. I think of it, it's kind of like the sheep metaphor. Like in Psalm 23, it says, Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, it gives a picture of a of a sheep, he's in a dark valley. There's lions, there's wolves all around him, ready to devour him if he moves anywhere where the shepherd is not. What is the temptation? The temptation is to get scared and to, and to protect ourselves and to run as fast as we can, not knowing that we're running right into the wolf's den, right into the lion's mouth. That is the temptation to get scared and to stop trusting in our Lord, to stop looking at him. We should be like the sheep that can just lay there, keep eating the grass, the wolves growling and circling around us, but our shepherd is right there. We don't have to bleat, we don't have to cry, we don't have to scream. We say, Lord, you've got it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because he knows if that wolf takes a step too close, he's going to get clubbed by that staff. David said he took the bear by the beard and clubbed it. What do you think Jesus is going to do? It's awesome. But to do that, we have to preach to our own souls over and over and over. Rest in God. Trust in him. Be silent before him. I've cried. He's heard me. I trust. He's sovereign. He's powerful. Go through the attributes of God. Either pick up a book that kind of lists them all or, or go through your, as you're reading through your Bible, just start highlighting and write them down, the verses that show an attribute of God, whether it's his sovereignty or his power, his love, his goodness, his mercies, any one of his perfections. Start going through and rely on those as, as, as the wolf comes or as trials come or as comforts come. Comfort can be a temptation very quickly. Anything that will pull us from our Lord is a very dangerous place. And then look here in verse 7, which we're coming upon. David is going to practice this. And then he's going to preach it to everyone else. So he says, in God, verse 7, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. See, he's preaching, he's proclaiming to himself there. And then 
Verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So then in verse 8, he's preaching to everybody else. The song is preaching to everybody else standing there. Look what it says. Trust in him at all times. At all times. No matter how easy they are, no matter how bad they are, continue to trust in him. And then pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart before him. Have you poured out your heart to the Lord lately? You know, have you, have you taken all your anxieties and just named them off to him one by one? It's an awesome thing to do. Just name off your anxieties from all the things that bother you, all the things that make you nervous, that make you afraid. Just name them off to him one by one. Go for a walk around the block or go for a drive. Just don't close your eyes while you're praying while you're driving. Just start naming them off. Pour out your heart before him. Tell him all your desires. Even bring your sin before him. Bring your desires for self before him. Lord, I want this, but if you don't want me to have it, then I don't want to have it. Now pour out your heart before him. Pour it out. That means it's full of stuff. Pour it out to him. Give it all to him. He loves you. He already knows what's there. But he desires that we bring it to him. And that's awesome because we can tell others about our experience with God. Just as David is doing. David has said, God is my salvation and glory, the rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. And all you people can listen to me and know that he will do the same for you. That he will be the same for you. That he will be your defense, he will be your strength, he will be your refuge. So as you walk with the Lord throughout your life, you can take your experiences that you've had with him, how you've seen him work, and you can tell others about him. Tell them what you believe from his word. Proclaim it to them. Most of the time when I've witnessed to people, that's what I've done. You know, every day, especially working at my old work, the senior living center, you know, finding ways to open up conversation with them, to bring Jesus up. You know, I've got to tell them what God's done in my life, how he's worked, how I can trust in him. Then look at verse 9. Surely, or again, only, men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Low degree is, um, in Hebrew, ben Adam, son of Adam, which is what we all are. So we're all a vapor. Every single one of us. He just classified, classified all humanity, even himself, as just a vapor compared to God. We're here and we're gone. Our lives are for but a moment. Right? And all we do is, is so light. I think about it. What do we spend our, all of our time on in life? 
I mean, just think to yourself. What have I spent most of my time on? Well, okay, you know, and when I was little, I was playing. When I was a teenager, pretending to be sick, staying home from school, and playing video games. <laughs> you know, my 20s, pretty much wasted away working out. Now, what do we spend our time on? Just over and over and over again. It's, it's a vapor. There's no real substance to it. And if, if the Lord doesn't add, add the substance to our lives, then there is no substance. Right? It's all vanity. Read Ecclesiastes. So every person on earth is a vapor. But then he says, men of high degree, that's um, literally Ben-ish, or son of man, son of a champion. It represents someone who's high, noble, a ruler, great, mighty. They're a lie. They are a lie. They're a vapor too. They think they're something, but they're nothing. All our politicians... All of our superstars, all of our actors and actresses, they're nothing. They're just a vapor. They're here and gone. It's a lie to say that they're more than a vapor. It's a lie. So I'd say, be careful who you look up to. Be careful who you put your hope in. They're just a vapor. Also, why would we fear a vapor? You know? I think, rightfully, we should be very concerned about our country right now because of what's going on. And we should be praying and on our knees. Should we be afraid, though? No. They're a lie. They're a vapor. Our God is going to reign. He's going he's to accomplish his will on the earth. I want to be a part of his work, though. I want my life to have, have substance. I want to pour into his people. I want to reach out to the lost. I want to glorify him in my marriage as a parent, the way I work. I want the substance of my life to be Christ. Look at verse 10. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So David continues to preach through the psalm. He says, if, do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. I mean, those are evil. Don't, he's telling his people, don't turn to evil to get comfort of this life. Don't turn to oppression. Don't turn to stealing, manipulation. Lying, doing, doing things that are wrong so that you can get what you want. Now, I think about it. Don't cheat on your taxes. I mean, just simple as that. Be an honest person. Be a God-fearing person. Live your life before the Lord. Don't think you can get ahead by doing evil. Don't trust in those things. And if riches increase, and riches doesn't just mean money, it means your possessions, everything that you have. If they increase, don't put your trust in them. They can be gone in a moment. 
You know, how many of us have thought, okay, if I just had that car, it feels so cool. Yeah. If I just had this or just had that, my life would be so fulfilled. If I didn't have to drive around that stupid minivan, I'd look so much cooler. That's for me and my wife. You know, don't put your trust in riches. Put it on the Lord totally and completely. And what are you going to have to do? Constantly preach to yourself to do that. Constantly preach to yourself. Constantly pray. Constantly trust in the Lord. Constantly find your worth and your value in Him. And then he says this, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Once I have spoken, twice I have heard this. It's like he's solidifying that power belongs to God by saying it twice. Um, we see this kind of pattern worked out throughout the Bible. One good example is Genesis 41:32. This is when uh, Pharaoh has a dream and then Joseph comes to interpret it. It says, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, this is Joseph talking, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. He's establishing it by saying, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, it's established. So power to rule, power to save, power to execute judgment, all belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to him. Do you have any doubt at all that the Lord has all power? All power. All power. We, we, we say that we believe that. But what are the thoughts of our heart as we're driving down the street? And we see terrible things. We turn on the news and we see horrible things. or we're going through a trial or something, do we believe that God has all power, all authority? And think about that. If you do believe that, doesn't that bring silence to your soul? Doesn't it bring just so much rest? You say, Lord, this whole thing is in your hands. There is nothing that's out of control. You are absolutely powerful and sovereign over all things. And you are bringing all things to accomplish your purposes. No matter how evil they are, they will eventually, you will accomplish your purposes. In spite of them, through them, whatever it is. And then he says, verse 12, Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. Mercy there is Talitha's not here, so nobody knows what that word is. Unless somebody was listening. Chesed, good job. Yes. He gets an A for the day. Good job. I'm very excited about that. Chesed, and chesed means his loving kindness, or um, some translations translate it as his steadfast love. It's his covenant loyalty, his covenant love, right? And it comes through Jesus Christ. 
When we believe in Jesus Christ, we enter into, his, enter into his covenant, and he will never break his promise. He will never break his covenant with us. It is steadfast, constant love. So he says, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. You render to each one according to his work. Mercy belongs to him as well. Power belongs to him, and chesed belongs to him, that mercy, that covenant loyalty, that love, his kindness towards us, sinners. And Paul quotes this last verse, the, the, the second part of it, for you render to each one according to his work. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Because I want you to see the context that he, he um, quotes it in. Romans chapter 2. And he quotes it in verse 6, but we're going to read from verse 1. It says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever, whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who practice, or sorry, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing some, some things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath, and revelation at the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Who will render each one according to his deeds. That's where he quotes Psalm 62. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So he's saying that we will all be judged according to our deeds, according to our works. And how does that work? Because I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by the works of the law. I'm saved in spite of the evil deeds that I have done. So how does that work? I'd say, number one, our deeds show that we have genuine faith, saving faith. Repentance shows that we have genuine faith, saving faith, good deeds of love, of desiring to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ, shows that we have genuine, believing faith. But God will test our works. He will put them through the fire of his judgment. And some will not stand on that day because their faith is not true. 
that's not really in the person of Jesus Christ. It may be in religion or in themselves. But the, 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 the gate is wide that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow that leads to life. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24 through 27. So then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. Even Jesus quotes this verse. He will reward each according to his works. You take up your cross and follow him, you're going to be rewarded for that. You gain the whole world, you're going to lose your own soul. You'll be rewarded for that too. Revelation 20, 12 through 14. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. <coughs> and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But here's the thing. I know that in Christ, my evil works are covered. All the works I do for him... They're magnified. God looks at them, and he's pleased with them. Outside of Christ, all my evil works are magnified, and I have nothing covering me, and even my best works, my good works, are as filthy rags before the Lord. We must be born again. We must be born again. There are no two ways about it. We must live a life that is born again and devoted to Christ. Constantly grabbing our hearts, grabbing our affections, and saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. He saved you. And the day of judgment is near. I mean, just think about it. It's nearer than when we first believed. We're at the end of the age. I don't know how long it's going to be. Could it be in our lifetime? Yes. Could the Lord come back and take his church to be with him and judge the earth? Yes. But also, look at all his benefits. Look at all the benefits of walking with him. The peace that comes from knowing that you're in his will that you're walking with him, that you're doing what's right in his eyes, that you're walking in the fear of the Lord. The assurance that comes through it, the hope. We have peace, we have assurance, we have hope, we have purpose in him. Outside of him, all that falls to the ground. So let's command our souls today. 
to be silent before God, to be at rest in God, right? to wait on him, to love him, to have joy in him. We must constantly preach to ourselves when, we're, when we don't have those things, when we're not waiting on him, when we're not silent before him, when we're complaining and we're grumbling. Let's bring our souls to the Lord. Right? It's going to be hard. I remember when first came out here to Golden, you know, I'm preaching every week, and um, I remember there would be weeks when I'd pray a lot, and I'd pray fervently, and God would bless. Then there'd be weeks where I just fell off the wagon as far as prayer goes. And I remember thinking, but Lord, I prayed for that last week. Shouldn't it carry over into this week? No, it's constant. We have to constantly come before him. Don't, we can't take a break. There are no breaks in this life from prayer, from seeking the Lord. There are no breaks. It can be exhausting, but you know what? The more you pray, the more you're going to love to pray. The more you bring your heart before the Lord, the more you're going to just find rest in him. And the more you're going to want to do it. And the more endurance you're going to have in seeking him and following him. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that those, all of his blessings don't just carry right over. You know? Every day is a new battle. But fortunately, every day his mercies are new. Right? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would not be forgetful of this. That we would continually bring ourselves before you. Continually preach to ourselves. And continually trust in you, Lord, to be silent. To know that you have heard our cries and then to say, Lord, I have faith that you have heard. And I leave it to you. You are at work. You are not asleep. You are not too busy. Thank you, Lord, so much. I thank you for your people. Thank you for your church. Help us to fight today's battles against ourselves, against the world, and especially against Satan. Help us to be good witnesses, not contradicting ourselves in the faith. We love you, Lord. We praise you. You deserve all that we are because you bought us with your blood, with your very life. In your name we pray. Amen.